Welcome to the Produce Industry Podcast, your weekly download on current events, trends, market reports, and community discussions. Join us each week from Tampa, Florida, as we cover all aspects of the produce supply chain industry. Ladies and gentlemen, here's your host, Patrick Kelly. Welcome back to the Produce Industry Podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Patrick Kelly. As always, I am honored to be here coming to you live from Tampa, Florida. Now, we are in day four of the PMA Food Service Delivered Virtual Conference. That's right. There's a crazy amount of information being exchanged. And did you get today's theme? If you didn't, it was global. And if you're interested of that fine dining sponsor for the scavenger hunt, it's Robinson Fresh. So don't forget to go into the scavenger hunt and enter that information. There's a lot of cool sessions today. I took part in a few of them, but I really spent a lot of time talking to some of the attendees and chefs that are attending this virtual showcase. So I'd like to introduce some of them. We have Jamie Dement, who is the author of Farmhouse Chef and Canning in a Modern Kitchen. We have Chris Veyon from Pure Flavor, who is the Chief Marketing Officer. Uh, Megan McKenna, Senior Director of Food Service for the National Watermelon Promotion Board. We have Chef Rob Ruba, who is the owner of Oyster Oyster. We have Chef Kevin Johnson, who is the owner of The Grocery. And we also have Jennifer Armin, Vice President of Okanagan Specialty Fruit. So we've got a lot in store and a bunch of cool interviews. So let's welcome our first guest, Jamie Dement, and hear some of her recipes from her books. Jamie, welcome to the show today. Hey, Patrick. Thanks for having me. No, it's my pleasure. And you know what? When we got connected uh, through Shabon at the Produce Marketing Association, she sent me over your profile. Uh, you are a UNC uh, Chapel Hill gal. And I told you off mic, I'm a huge UNC fan. Um, because my faith, you know, you're right, right. Go Tar Heels. And yeah. uh, Philip Rivers, you know, he's, he's a quarterback for the San Diego Chargers for many years. I'm a huge San Diego Chargers fan. So when I saw that, I, I knew we were going to connect because um, I do too love the Tar Heels, especially yep. Michael Jordan coming from there as well. Once a Tar Heel, always a Tar Heel. You know, it's funny, and, and I'm and I'm a I, I graduated from Fresno State in my undergrad and my uh, um, graduate degree, and it's funny. I still love still love that Carolina blue. Yep, you can't so, get away. You can't. So I appreciate you coming on the show today. I read a lot about you. Um, currently, you've got two books that are out, uh, The Farmhouse Chef, Recipes and Stories uh, from My Carolina Farm, which I thought was very cool. And then your second book, which was Canning in the Modern Kitchen. So both of these books I have not read yet, but I kind of got a sneak preview of them last night when I was doing some uh, uh, history or search and R&D on you. And I think it's fantastic what you're doing. Um, I do want you kind of to talk a little bit about it. Talk about you know, as you saw that your family farms and different things disappearing, you know, what's happening in this world today? Yeah. So um, I'm originally from Eastern North Carolina, um, Franklin County, which is a, a rural farming county. It, it, um, it, unfortunately, there's not as much farming there as there used to be, but, you know, from the 1700s on, it's what, um, it's what has been in Franklin County. And it's where my family has been um, since the late 1700s. And, um, and so I grew up, my family owned a farm supply company um, right in the middle of the county. And I kind of had a, a front row seat to watch, um, you know, family agriculture in that area kind of dry up and die after the tobacco buyout happened. Um, a lot of the family farms in the area, you know, they, they participated in the buyout and they, you know, they, they, they 
they were they had to shut their their farming operations down so what used to be an incredibly vibrant farming community kind of dried up and went away um and at the time you know as a 17 18 year old all i wanted to do was get the hell out of dodge i wanted to go as far away from the rural south as i could possibly get um i was lucky i got a, i got a scholarship to go to university of north carolina as you said um and i used that opportunity to to head out and i traveled all around the world um and you know because once once you know rural life is in your is in your system it's kind of hard to shake it so part of my travels all around the world um was was visiting farms and learning about food ways wherever i was so i never quite got away from it um even though i traveled a lot i ended up in dc working on capitol hill i i always felt this kind of pull back um to north carolina and to home uh, and when I moved back down here, um, I certainly didn't think I would be in farming and food in any way. Um, I was raising money for um, a Smithsonian affiliate uh, museum in North Carolina. And, and I met my husband, um, my current husband, who 16 years ago, I guess now, um, and he just bought a farm um, in Orange County, North Carolina, right outside of Hillsboro, as a, as a place basically to raise his kids and kind of get them away from video games and you know, neighborhoods where everybody's piled on top of each other. And, and that's where we landed, um, was on this, this farm where we live uh, today. Um, and we actively farm it. We've owned two restaurants that were tied directly to the farm where we were um, cooking seasonally and sustainably and using products directly from our farm. So our menus changed regularly. Um, and, and so I've kind of gotten to see a, a, a different side of farming than what I saw growing up. So growing up, I saw I saw lots of, of traditions and family businesses and farms dying. And now um, over the past 15, 16 years, I've kind of um, been able to watch a rebirth of it from a different point of view, um, certainly on a smaller scale um, and certainly in a more sustainable way using organic um, methods and practices. Uh, and so I've, I've kind of watched it be reborn in the area where we are. And it's been um, gratifying uh, to an extent that I find hard to communicate, um, which is how I got into writing about food and writing these cookbooks because, you know, I found what I was doing every day so gratifying that I, 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 I had an overwhelming urge to share it and to tell the stories and to, and, to, and to share the recipes because unfortunately, one of the things that we've discovered at, you know, at farmer's markets and food demos and stuff over the years is that people are forgetting how to cook. You know, unfortunately, that unless it comes in a bag with instructions, a lot of people have forgotten what to do with a whole animal or a fresh picked vegetable. Um, and so that's what my books are about. They're about teaching you to cook and eat with the seasons um, and then with the farmhouse chef and then like moving into the canning in the modern kitchen. It's, you know, if you're gonna, if you wanna enjoy those strawberries from May and December, you've got to preserve them in some way. Um, so, you know, that, that's, that's my, that's the next step in, in, in seasonal eating and sustainable eating. So I've probably well, answered way too many questions and run on too much, but. No, not really. I mean, it gives you an overview. It's like a, you gave a good 30,000 view of, of what's been happening too. And, and listen, you said it too. People are forgetting how to cook. I mean, even myself, my wife laughs at me all the time because I say I'm going to cook and she's like, oh, great. What do we have in barbecue, corn, uh, this, you know what I mean? She's like, she knows my staple items. Um, even my brother-in-law, he comes over and he'll cook and she'll, she'll be like, let, let, your, let my brother cook, you know, because he's got a different way of cooking. I've got my like five, six staple items. And you said it, right? People are not just forgetting how to cook, but they're not learning how to cook. And I can attest to that, right? I, if it doesn't have clear directions, it's funny how 
I'll buy something, but won't read the directions to put it together. But I will definitely read the directions on how to make a, a stir fry or something like that from the back. How many minutes, what to do, how much oil, you know, all these right. different things. So you are right. And listen, with these food service delivered con uh, concert, I'm going to do it again. I have been doing that all week. I keep saying concert, <laughs> Jamie. I cannot get out of concert. Right? I mean, it's a, it's a party. It's fun. <laughs> it, is, it is. It's a party. All like I tell you, this is like the fifth, sixth time on the podcast I've said concert. Yeah, but it's, it's a multi-day party. We're all connecting. We're having fun. PMS oh. is all about fun. I agree. So listen, with the, with this concert conference happening and the food service industry is really down, regardless of all the DTC models and the delivery companies out there helping, we're trying to still promote one uh, healthy, um, uh, I say healthy all the time, but it produces all healthy, uh, right. but healthy, fresh food all the time. Right. And that's something in our recipes, uh, in our restaurants, in the stores right now, it's like, that's what we need to promote. And like you said, then we need to promote the cooking at home and we need to promote all this together. So I'm going to ask you kind of an off the whim question. Hopefully you have it. So what is one of your favorite recipes? Cause I know you've got this farmhouse chef and mm -hmm. the recipes and stories from, you know, your Carolina farm. Do you have one of those specific recipes that like brings you back to Carolina? Like that you're like, Oh, this one recipe, like it brings you back to like you were six years old and like when you first smelled like fresh cut grass. Oh yeah. So, I mean, it, this is stupid and a like totally simple answer. And it, it speaks to what I'm eating almost every day right now, but there's a, um, there's a recipe in the farmhouse chef, uh, for cooking fresh field peas. And then there recipe, there's uh, recipes and instructions, even in canning in the, in the modern kitchen that teaches you how to preserve them. But um, my, my favorite, when people ask me like, Jamie, what's your favorite food and what's your favorite meal? Um, it, it, I always answer either butter beans or field peas. Um, and you cook them both pretty similarly, um, especially when they're fresh. Um, so, so they're picked fresh, you shell them and then you can either cook them fresh right that minute or you blanch them and freeze them or you can blanch them and can them. Um, but the, but the way of cooking them fresh, it's just, some, you know, you put them in a pot of water with some kind of fat, whether it's, uh, bacon fat or butter or olive oil or schmaltz, you know, whatever, chicken fat. Um, you know, there, there's lots to do. So you just, you know, you, you add a fat and you've got this fresh bean or pea and you, you know, bring them to a boil uh, for about five minutes and then, you know, turn them down and let them simmer for another 20 minutes. And then, and, and you eat them just like that. You can garnish them with herbs or chopped onions or shallots or whatever, but you've got this like fresh earthy dish that is like, I mean, that literally is, is my favorite thing to eat in the entire world. And I, you know, I like to drink the pot liquor when I've eaten all the peas and beans out. I like to eat the peas cold left over the next day. I like to eat them hot. I, I mean, like they, I really can't tell you how satisfying I, I find these, these fresh field peas and butter beans. They, they really are my, my very favorite thing to eat. And they're so simple. I mean, there was something that I could cook for myself as an eight-year-old. In that, you know, as a 40, almost 41 year old, that I'm still cooking in the exact same way and that I cook for people, you know, I cooked them last night for dinner and I'm going to take the leftover peas that I cooked last night just in water with bacon fat. And tonight I'm going to, you know, saute them and add a little extra tomato and serve them under, you know, a seared grouper provençal. And, and it's going to be a whole different meal and they're going to be so delicious and beautiful and, and perfect of the season, um, but also something that that can be preserved and carried on and eaten throughout the year, which I think is one thing that, you know, as produce producers and produce consumers as, you know, as restaurant chefs or restaurant owners that we need to be thinking about right now is 
How are we, how can we take things that are in season and preserve them in ways that we can use them throughout the year? Because it's one of the ways that we're going to, I mean, I think every restaurant and, and food entity right now, you know, we're all trying to figure out how, how do we pivot? How do we, how do we figure out how to work in these very strange and new times? And one of those ways is that we, you know, we start looking at, you know, how can we preserve things and how can we turn this into something different three months from now that's still going to be interesting and innovative and delicious for our customers. Listen, I don't know if you have ever heard that song by James Taylor, Carolina in my mind, but yeah, I have Carolina times. in my mind right now. Like everything you're saying, I'm just like over here, like, man, I just need to go visit Jamie right now on her you farm. And we need to, you know, and we need to I get some of these bugs. We got to pop them peas because I i don't know what you're talking about. I, I, mean, I know what butter peas are, but the way you're talking about it, I'm sitting there going, man, I, I haven't tried it like this before. I mean, what, do you, what is she doing that I've been doing wrong? I clearly see it though. But yeah, you think I got James Taylor singing Carolina in my mind right now. I'm going to Carolina in my mind. Listen, I'm telling you, what you got going on, I, I love it. And the way you're explaining some of these recipes are making my mouth just like water over here. So I, I love what you're doing, Jamie. So listen, if anybody wants to get a hold of you, find your books, um, how do we get a hold of you? Uh, JamieDement.com is the, is the easiest way to find me. There's um, information about my books. There's, um, there's segments from different cooking demos and shows that I've been on that you can watch. So you can, you can cook right along with me. And there's, um, there's direct links to me for social media and email. I'm easy to find. I love it. Well, listen, Jamie, I wanted to thank you for coming on the show today. I know our listeners are going to get a kick out of this and I know they're going to check out some of your books. That was the farmhouse chef recipes and stories from my Carolina farm and canning in the modern kitchen. So again, Jamie, thanks for coming on the show today. Mm, thank you, Patrick. Have a good one. Great to hear from Jamie Dement. Now let's hear from Chris Vayon, the chief marketing officer at Pure Flavor. Hey, Chris, welcome to the show today. Great. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's awesome to connect during this uh, COVID-19 pandemic. I know that sounds weird, but it seems like we're connecting in a lot of ways that people haven't connected before. I I've always said I've used Zoom and other uh, platforms to connect in a virtual way, but we first kind of connected at the United Fresh Live uh, trade show, and now we're reconnecting through this PMA uh, virtual showcase. So I do appreciate you connecting via email, uh, via conference calls and everything, man. It's just a kind of a new world everybody's living in. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a new world. I think uh, we've all experienced in the last four to five months, we've had to kind of, you know, pivot and, and rethink how we communicate um, both digitally, by phone, uh, by back phone, whatever you want to call it. But I think the landscape has, has changed considerably, uh, certainly in the fresh produce industry. And it's, it's made us rethink how we, how we get our product in front of people. And, you know, we did talk about United Fresh Live and, and the positives behind that. And here we are this week, you know, it's, it's food service delivered by PMA. So, you know, the industry associations are fully embracing the need to, to bring people together. And it's all about communication. So using technology um, as we are, uh, the, the, the boom of Zoom and WhatsApp and Teams and, and such has, has really you know, reinforce the need to, to embrace technology and, and, and connect. 
you know, and I'm glad that all this has happened because I used to use a lot of these programs before the slacks, the Monday, all these different programs. And it's funny that all those people that didn't like to use them, you always saw their yellow and red in those. Right. And now it seems like there's more greens in there. Right. I think, you know what I'm talking about. There's more, there's more green in there. People are participating more. So listen, before we get into this a little bit more, give us an overview though of your organization and yourself during this week. Sure. Um, you know, we've been a longtime supporter of, uh, of PMA. Uh, and this week, you know, we are virtually in, in air quotes, um, you know, perusing and taking part of, in, in food service delivered uh, by PMA. It's uh, it's a great opportunity to reinvigorate conversations around food service. You know, food service is the one segment of the industry that's, that's really taken a, a significant hit um, with social distancing, uh, uh, protocols in place and, and, and closures and such. So, you know, it's, it's, it's good to see that the PMA has, has taken that step forward to provide a, a virtual environment to, to connect, you know, the, 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 the schedule and such, the agenda for the week is vast um, from all hours of the day in, well into the, into the night. Um, but the idea of connecting those that uh, those decision makers and such that need to have um, access to, to product, you know, the, the, the ability to, um, be a part of those conversations is important. Uh, food service, you know, is, is a very important part of our business as, as a, as a vertically integrated grower vegetable marketer. Um, we, you know, Pure Flavor has been in business uh, since 2003. So we're in our 17th year of operations right now. You know, three childhood friends came together back in 2003 to start a sales company. And lo and behold, you know, almost uh, 14, I think it was 14 and a half years later, they built their first, um, owned greenhouse in Leamington, you know, it'd been a, a marketer of such of a, a vast network of, of farms across Canada, USA, and, and, and Mexico to actually own our own acreage in, in 2016. And fast forward another year ahead, you know, we built our first, our first 25 acres in, in South Georgia and Fort Valley, you know, and then two years, two years later in late 2019, early 2020, we're building again. We're, now we're building in Leamington um, with another phase due to start this fall. So for us, you know, we're firing all cylinders. Yes, the food service business is something that's very important to us. We work with all major uh, suppliers across, uh, across North America. And at the same time, we're increasing our acreage, which we need to do to get in front of retail, um, to, to be able to service our, our key retail partners across the U.S. and Canada. But at the same time, you know, increasing that, that volume is important for our food service partners who are, are slowly coming back on, uh, back on the radar with social distancing, you know, somewhat starting to be lifted in certain areas. You know, our, our situation in Canada is a little bit different right now than what's happening across the U.S., but, you know, it doesn't stop our farms from growing and producing. We've been, you know, very active over these last five months. Demand is, is reaching an all-time high. Uh, our, our farmers, are, our farms are, are shipping more than they ever have before. So it's, it's, a great, it's a great positive in a time where there seems to be uh, – a lot of a lot of negative and uncertainty you know the food industry needs to be the positive and i think this week with food service delivered um and the ideas that are coming out of food service to 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 breathe new life into the business is is a very positive step yeah you know what's funny is is i got a, a lot of comments uh, you know every week about these virtual shows and are they the right thing to do you know and i was even thinking about doing an episode on you know on specifically our virtual shows you know the next big thing because there's a lot of produce companies that are out there. And I even spoke about this um, or not spoke, but just chatted about this in one of the mixers last night uh, for the center for growing talent. 
is that we were just talking about a lot of these different things, you know, these changes that are happening. And if you're someone sitting there going, I'm going to weather the storm, you know, I was telling a lot of our young people like, no, it's time to be proactive now. Reactive and resilient was, you know, probably in March, you know, maybe a little bit into April, but now it's time to get on it. It's time to, you know, bring that valuable content to the table. It's time to connect with more people. It's time to bring some of those innovations that you might've had in the closet, right? Out, bring them out of the box, start doing new things. Cause as you said, you know, grapes, tomatoes, avocados, asparagus, um, none of this stops just because of pandemic. Um, now other organizations, other industries might be able to slow their production down, right? Maybe they can, maybe the plastic industry can, um, maybe them making iPhones, they can, they can slow that down, right? Am I right, Chris? But um, what you said, we can't slow the growing down. I, I can't go, I mean, unless we want to just take all the trees out and put, you know, put real estate there. I mean, these are, this business is a 365 day, all year, all in decade after decade after decade business. I mean, I totally agree with you on that front. So um, one of the things, you know, I did think was cool. I was going through the pure flavor website and you've got a lot of consumer goods out there. Like I saw some of your uh, cherry pack tomato uh, consumer packs. How is that going for you right now? Because I know that looks right. Very fresh, safe, and probably a fast alternative. How are products like that moving for your organization during this uh, pandemic? You know, that's, that's a good point, Patrick, because right now, uh, you're right. We did experience, you know, back in March and April, that, you know, rush, rush in stock. Um, and that's, you know, get to the store, you know, you run out and, you know, we heard about, you know, toilet paper shortages and, and, and so forth, but we really didn't hear about any shortages on, on fresh vegetables. Um, and even though we were shipping more than we ever had before, and that continues to today, what we are seeing is, is consumers looking to, for consistency, you know, the dollars that they're spending and as precious as they are, they are looking to ensure that they're delivering the best for their families. And in a situation like this, you know, there has been a, a somewhat of a shift from, from bulk based product that's more commodity based into prepackaged items. So, um, you know, you gave an example of great tomatoes and such. Yeah. Th those items are our, 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 our main staples. Those are our number one selling products. Our Juno bites, red grape tomatoes are the number one selling product for our company and have been for years. You know, they come in a dry pint and a club pack format of two pound. You know, the consumer wants to purchase products that are safe, healthy, and flavorful. The, the ability to buy a prepackaged product makes it easy. Um, you know, there are some out there who are concerned that you know, they're worried about, you know, transmission and people touching product and so forth. So that, that prepackaged recycled material that's packed in, you know, that, that's an important selling point. Uh, for a retail partner, or even a food service is doing some sort of a, um, you know, institutional type of business. The ability to serve a packaged product um, reduces the, uh, the, the, you know, so-called risk, risk potential, if there is such a thing, in which, you know, the CDC has been very clear in saying that there's no transmission possible through, uh, through food. But the, the comfort in knowing that they're buying a, a prepackaged product in a format that they can consume you know, I think the, the snacking tomatoes that we grow, we have a complete line of snacking tomatoes. It's packed in a, in a four ounce and also has a dry ounce, a dry, sorry, a dry pipe um, pack format gives the consumer the, the comfort knowing they'd be able to eat, eat that product in, in one sitting or two. It does come in a receivable, receivable container. So there's, there's much positive behind smaller formats um, to make sure there is, there is no waste. You know, we, we hear or we heard, I should say, back in March, April, and sometime into early May, uh, in regards to farmers and fields having to 
you know, till over their product because just there wasn't a home for it. You heard about farmers who were dairy farmers that were dumping, you know, hundreds of millions of gallons of, of, of milk because there was nowhere to send it to. I think now, you know, five months into this, you know, consumers are, 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 are purchasing on a regular basis. They are getting into stores and, and buying those fresh vegetables. But as we've seen, our packaged products are, are certainly uh, the go-to item right now. And I think they would be, right? I mean, there's all types of innovation that's happening, trying to figure out how to do that too. I mean, we've you've seen, I'm in the citrus community as we talked about off the mic. And it's funny because there are some consumer six packs that you know are wrapped in the, the cellophane, have a little styrofoam uh, piece yeah. on the bottom, the vintage suites, you know, they're doing that. But I've seen the citrus community even talk about that and say, should we all start making these six packs? You know, should we make some of these things? And if you travel over, uh, to China or any of the uh, Asian countries, uh, a lot of theirs are pre-cut in those cellophane, right? The orange slices, the orange wedges, uh, everything's in those. They, have, they wrap everything. So it's very interesting. And I think that market's going to go up. But I also see that that pre-packaged goods, like you say, in like your cherry tomatoes, those grape tomatoes, um, obviously, yeah, they would sell a tremendous amount. The same thing with potatoes. If you have a pre-packaged potatoes and you're able to just reseal it and seal it, I agree with you. I think that's going to be a huge, huge advantage to your organization if you're able to have that. So, you know, I commend you guys on that. I thought that was one of the things that did stick out to me on the website when I was reviewing a lot of your products. So, well, what kind of opportunities do you have out there to give some of our listeners? Is there anything upcoming, anything you want to shout out that's, uh, you know, on the horizon or in the fields that's coming up in the next, uh, you know, weeks or months or so for uh, Pure Flavor? Yeah, we've, we've, been, uh, we've been promoting our craft house collection uh, quite heavily uh, the spring into the summer. That had been our, our primary focus at uh, United Fresh Live. The craft house collection is a, is a group of products um, that are grown for the chef and you. They really are the, the perfect item in the kitchen. And as we have all spent more and more time at home, not being able to eat out and such, you know, the, the same old, same old meals are getting kind of tired and, and such. So we've, we've developed these items to be, you know, the perfect versatile item in the kitchen. We have a, have a long sweet pepper. We have a mini San Marzano tomato. We have baby eggplants. And our newest item to the, uh, to the list this year is a shishito pepper. Um, you'd look at it and you'd think, okay, is this, is this hot? Is it spicy? But actually one in 10 can actually have a, a bit of a kick to them heat wise. So they're, they're a great item for a snack or an appetizer. But really, the Craft House Collection is about, um, you know, reinvigorating your, your love of being in the kitchen. You know, it's about adding new ideas to the same things you've been making week in, week out. But it's all been vetted by our group of chefs. These are meant to be items that are easily swapped in for an existing item and to provide something unique and flavorful to your family. Um, it's really about getting people back in the kitchen. And we've been successful in doing so this spring and summer. Uh, we've had a number of editorial um, publications pick up and, and share the story. So we're pretty excited about getting these items to market and consumers will look for that at, you know, fine grocery stores near the, near, uh, near where they live. Oh man, I love it. Well, Chris, I want to thank you for coming on the show today. And if anybody wants to get hold of Pure Flavor, um, how can they get in connections with you or your team? Well, it's quite simple. You know, we, we obviously the web at pure-flavor.com or across any social channel, Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. Uh, we are there. Uh, we have a vast network of, of our vast library, I should say, of, of recipes and product information and such. You know, we've grown our Facebook following to well over 115,000 people. 
you know, that are in specific regions throughout the U.S. You know, we're, we're constantly providing fresh and updated content, uh, sometimes on a daily basis. We know that consumers and as a whole have, have, have become more digitally savvy, um, having to search online for uh, ordering or looking for, for store hours and such. So, you know, we're, we're, it's all about developing the right content for the right channel. So, you know, it's simple. Go to Google, type in Pure Flavor, and we're, uh, we'll show up in the first couple of searches, that's for sure. Yes, you do. You do. I've been there already and they do. They show up in the first couple. So Chris, thank you for joining the show today. And I look forward to having you hopefully for another segment to go over all of Pure Flavors, uh, innovation, opportunity, and future. Thanks for having me, Patrick. Have a great day. Thanks, Chris. Now let's hear from Megan McKenna from the National Watermelon Promotion Board. Hey, Megan, welcome to the show today. Thank you so much for your time. I am so excited to talk about watermelon with you. I was going to say, I'm more excited. Don't, don't you say you're excited first. I'm more excited to talk about watermelons. I've been looking forward to this. As I told you off the mic, I've been researching watermelon customers, vendors, and a lot of people to try and get them on the show to talk about watermelons. So I'm very excited that the National Watermelon Promotion Board is on the call with me today. And uh, can you give us a little bit more background, though, on the National Watermelon uh, Promo Board and what you do there for them? Sure. So the National Watermelon Promotion Board is exactly what our title says. We're all about promoting watermelon. Um, we are tasked with increasing de the demand of watermelon year round through research, promotion and education. Um, so we just want to keep watermelon top of mind. And we do that um, reaching directly to consumers through retail, through food service. Um, we use a lot of influencers in our work. Um, but you know, ultimately watermelon is just so much fun. It's so easy to talk about, um, and easy to, to get people excited about. I agree with you. And you know what? National watermelon day, August 3rd, 2020. I mean, it's coming up. It's going to be probably one of the, what are your favorite days of the year for the, uh, the watermelon promo board. So that's something that's going to be fun. And then we're going to talk about some cool recipes and some other in exciting things about some of these varieties that are out. But before we do that, we're involved in a PMA food service delivered concert. I'm gonna say it again, because I've been messing it up. So this time I planned it to say concert, not conference. Um, if you go back and listen to the episodes, Lauren Scott, the chief marketing officer uh, in the first episode of the PMA Live, we said concert and now it's just sticking the entire time. Um, but we're in the food service delivered virtual showcase. How are you liking it so far? Well, you know, I think concert is a great word for it because it's definitely been a great way to bring the industry together, um, you know, in a, in a unique way for the circumstances. Um, but I think that the, the platform has been really beneficial. It's really helped to, um, you know, bridge the gap right now. Um, it's allowed for some good networking and some good socializing, um, but also has been, you know, I've really enjoyed the mix of content that they've provided this year. Um, I like that it's been some research, some expert insights. Um, and so I'm looking forward to, to diving into today and tomorrow as the show wraps up. Um, and from a, from a watermelon perspective, you know, we continue to see watermelon grow on menus. Um, we saw 54% growth from 2014 to 2018. So, um, you know, we didn't want to miss the show this year. Uh, we wanted to be a part of the virtual format, again, to continue our connections in, in food service and to help to inspire, to inspire with watermelon. Um, you know, we have one of the great solution pages under the fresh ideas and innovation section. 
but really fun. We did one of the chef's table breakouts on Tuesday evening. Um, and it went really well. We, we really wanted to tie in, you know, where watermelon come from throughout the year um, with the cultures that they're, where they're grown. Because we see that watermelon ties in so well to different recipes and usage ideas and just the cultures of, of where they're grown. Um, so we highlighted, you know, the southeastern United States as a growing region. So if you want to think about barbecue sauces with watermelon and grilled watermelon. And of course, just, you know, salads, salads and beverages are huge with watermelon and continuing to grow. But then also in the fall and winter, you know, we receive delicious watermelon from Mexico primarily um, in those fall and winter months. So think about an aqua fresca or a watermelon gazpacho, um, maybe pairing watermelon with a cojita cheese instead of feta um, for a simple salad. So really just highlighting, you know, wa where watermelon come, comes from, that tie-in with the culture, um, and ultimately showing its versatility and how it can really lend itself to really fun menu items. I agree, and one of my favorites is the uh, watermelon margarita. I love it when they put those little watermelon ice cubes in there. Have you seen that? I know you probably have. You've probably seen all things watermelon, but that's kind of my favorite because I get to eat the ice cubes afterwards. Um, I've got kids, so when we were po you know, pre-COVID, we'd go to Dave and & Buster's, and like, I would go to play video games with the kids and go off with them, and I would be like, watermelon margarita, you know, and, and, and that's one of my favorites. It's one of my like, staple go-to watermelon items. I know that sounds funny, but hey. That's no, I love it. Fruit. And <laughs> it's really funny you mentioned that because during one of the social, um, one of the networking sessions uh, the other night, I believe it was the Women in Produce um, networking reception, there was a poll question um, during, foods, during food service delivered and watermelon margarita was the top choice in the produce forward cocktail options in that poll question. So you aren't alone in your love of a watermelon margarita. <laughs> You know, and it's crazy because I is when I was filling out that poll, I went to watermelon margarita. But it's funny because over the last couple of years, I was introduced to that lemon drop, and it's so funny because I was like debating. I was like, which one do I do? I'm like the <laughs> lemon drop. I'm like, or the watermelon margarita. So it, it is interesting how people that love their fruits, right, and love their veggies, they use it in everything. Because you can even say veggies in your drink as well and someone's gonna say well yeah of course my bloody mary with celery in it or you know my vodka with an olive you know what i mean it's so yep. crazy that you relate to that when you're passionate about a certain uh, brand a certain product so you know I, I love that and you know what pma is doing a great job i, I like the content that's uh, on there i'm still kind of going through it i finally got to like fourth place on the pma place on the scavenger hunt and i was so excited <laughs> But I keep telling myself, oh, just wait. Someone's going to come in and blast you, you know, pretty soon. They just haven't started their day as early as, as you did. So it, it has been fun, um, entertaining. Um, covering the show all week, again, has been really cool because I've been able to talk to a lot of awesome people uh, throughout it. So, you know, great job to PMA and what they're doing. And I, I look forward to seeing the Fresh Summit event in October. Yeah, I think, you know, we're, we're all getting through this together, as we've all been saying, and I think these virtual shows are just part of that. So it's been nice to connect with peers and to meet new people. For sure. Megan, I thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you so much. This has been really fun. I'm glad um, we could talk about my favorite fruit, watermelon. Definitely.
Thanks, Megan, for talking watermelons with us. And now let's take a moment to hear from our choice partner, Ag Tools. Are you ready to enhance your skills? Every day we are tasked to make fast, effective decisions to keep up with the fast-paced produce industry. At Ag Tools, we take the pressure off of gathering data to help make your day easier and more enjoyable. Connecting the supply chain with Ag Tools is unique, practical, and easy. Ag Tools can be used from multiple angles of the produce industry, from farmers all the way to logistics companies. We call that 360-degree decision-making day after day. Visit www.ag.tools.com to gain more reliable and relevant data to see more, achieve more. And now, back to our show. It's always great to hear from Ag Tools. Now, let's get back to some interviews and hear from Chef Rob Ruba, the owner and chef of Oyster Oyster. Hey, Rob, welcome to the show today. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah, I love it. So it's PMA Food Service Delivered Week. We're in day four. Um, I saw you speak yesterday. You know, how's the experience been for you? Yeah, you know, in this strange, untested time of our COVID pandemic, uh, doing shows like this, one, you know, they're really a challenge, but it's also a great opportunity to see some creativity. And what we're seeing with this online version is really exciting to me because, uh, you know, in the old days, you'd go to different sessions and that meant you were missing other sessions. Here, we actually have a chance to uh, listen to it for the next 30 days, which is, it's exciting because there's, there's more content than um, you can normally absorb if you're just walking through a show through a a big conference hall. I definitely agree with that because I've been to Food Service Monterey and some years I've never even went inside and just met with people outside of the show, uh, did the, uh, the, the PMA runs, you know, those 5K runs and things like that. But you're right, walking through that show, you can miss a lot of these things that you are seeing. These, are these chefs that you get to see, in, you know, for 30, 45 minutes every day in the PMA show today. So yeah, I think it's very cool. And again, if you're busy at work throughout the day, uh, all this, um, the episodes are online, like DVR. So you can just go back and watch them or whatever you want to later. I mean, the other day I watched the PMA Today Show a couple times uh, just because I was just watching it and just learning a few more things. So I do think it's cool and a good shout out to the PMA for that. But, you know, speaking of, of let's, get, let's get down to you though, Rob. Um, again, uh, you're the uh, owner of Oyster Oyster or partner. Um, you're a chef there. And we talked a little bit off mic about some of the things you're doing through COVID. And really, I want to keep this all positive to the listeners today and talk about maybe some of your favorite recipes um, from your restaurant and from your area and your neck of the wood. Because um, the reviews that I've seen from you and your organization is that everybody loves the food. It's just this crazy COVID time is in the way. So can you share some of those, cra- those good recipes that you have? Yeah, so we, we focus on historic Ozark cuisine. You know, what, what we're ultimately trying to do is discover the origin story of what Ozark cuisine is when it was first coming together. And so for us, it's all about uh, what, what's that fresh produce that's grown in this region uh, being very, very seasonal, but we always have to think ahead because Midwest winters sure uh, slow down produce harvest obviously and so we think about things like um, right now we're really hot on sour corn Uh, everyone's heard of sauerkraut well for us we make sour corn 
And it's an old timey recipe that we're trying to give a new spotlight to because what that does gets you that funky sourness, but the texture and the flavor of that corn is just like a, a fresh ear of corn in the summer. But now because it's preserved, you can actually enjoy it in January, February, March. Um, it, we're really hot on that now. It, it gets worked into so many of our dishes. Um, you know, we, we do a lot of foraged food too. My staff and I go out most mornings, gather ingredients, come back and cook them. And so that stuff is very earthy and very, uh, I don't know, kind of a muted palate for the most part. So bringing things in like these ferments, especially the sour corn, uh, really liven up the food. And uh, I, I just, I can't praise it enough. You know, I was talking to the National uh, Watermelon Promotion Board and they were talking about uh, pickled, like the watermelon, um, the green of the watermelon. So yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah so that, that, that kind of flavor that you're talking about, it, it, I can kind of feel it because I was just talking about that earlier um, with, with the watermelon people. So that, that's kind of cool though, because these are things probably different that's not, you know, normally uh, not heard of, but just not here normally, you know. So I, I think that's really cool. So, but let's talk a little bit more. So what are some new things to come? What, what are you guys working on in the kitchen um, through this pandemic? Because obviously it's a different world for restaurants right now um, with not being open you know, as much as you can be, not having the seating that you can. Um, what's going on in the kitchen that you're developing for your customers or con new cons consumers? Yeah, well, we, um, we actually are fighting two fights with the same strategy. One is what I've already mentioned that need to have fresh uh, seasonal ingredients when we're in the off season. And we also know that America is eating less meat and more produce. And so we're trying to, to attack that in a way where we're doing a lot of uh, what some people call vegetable charcuterie. This isn't your hippie grandma's type of vegetable charcuterie. This is using things like koji um, to work with the vegetables in a way that they get extremely umami or funky or earthy uh, so they satisfy the same way as uh, a loaf of salami might or a piece of prosciutto. Uh, it, it's, a, it's another level of this vegetarian or vegan movement and we certainly are neither of those movements but uh, like any cutting edge restaurant we celebrate vegetables and so the more ways we can do it the better and this is a great way because so often people will go to a restaurant, get a stir fry and be hungry in an hour. And this satiates the body in a different way and it celebrates the vegetable in a different way. Man, that's crazy. You know, it's like I'm writing, jotting down some little notes over here because as everybody's talked about, it's like we forget how to cook, right? And I talked about that in an earlier show is that a lot of times, like if we don't have the directions to cook, you know what I mean? Like step by step, we lose track and we cook those same meals like over and over again. Like I told someone earlier on the show, I said like my go-to, my wife knows is like a barbecue chicken. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, absolutely. right. It's like, so being able to hear some of these new flavors that, you know, are here, it excites me too, because I want to learn more. It's like, I'm not a chef, but it's like, I am in my own world when I'm cooking. Right. And it's like when, when my son wants to join in on the kitchen and, and cut watermelon or make waffles for chicken and waffles and all those different things, it almost inspires us a little bit more to say, all right, all right, I can get up to that next level of doing something different. 
So it's really cool to see what's out there and uh, what's to come. So, you know, we did speak a little bit off mic and I don't want to get too crazy into it, but the delivery model that, that's showing up, you know, you, you did talk about some ideas of moving forward and I think you got some great ideas to move uh, the industry forward in your world, but you know, what kind of things that can you uh, let our customers know that, you know, maybe some plans or ideas that could be in the mix if you want to share. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we do fine dining tasting menu. We do have a bar program with bar food. Uh, but at this point, because we can't bring enough people into the space, we haven't reopened our bar program. Uh, so we have some people sitting down for the tasting menu, very spread out. Uh, you know, it's as safe as it's going to get for indoor dining. We're already seeing with these numbers going up, the potential of another shutdown. And so well, how do we continue to do dinner service? Our food does not lend itself to being delivered, certainly not through a third-party operator, but even if we did it ourselves where we delivered with a little TLC. So what we're looking at is uh, we have a back alley. It's not one of those scary back alleys. It's actually kind of a cool back alley. And we're thinking about the idea of a drive-through tasting menu. So you know, what if you drove through once and we handed you two or three courses and then you went and parked, ate your courses, texted us and said, I'm ready for my next courses and you drive through again. We think that's an interesting way of doing it or um, having people park. We do have street parking right in front of us. It's not a busy district at night. So what if they parked up and we took the food out to them? Um, that's a little more interaction than I'm interested because of the risk. But you know, we could even have fun with that and, and have our staff put roller skates on and, and just play it up. Uh, but that, those are the kind of things we're looking at, ways of letting people continue to celebrate because birthdays and anniversaries are still happening. People still want that special meal, uh, but we need to do it in a safer way at this point for both the guest and my staff. You know, you, you have a great point. And again, still make it funner and interactive, right? But yeah, take less contact out of it. I mean, yes, you can still have some contact, but maybe it is. Maybe when they pull up to the street, you're able to put their order in over the phone. So one, you know, you're less contact, number one. You know what I mean? They can check in via online. There's different things that you can do to keep that contact list. And then just delivering the food is really, you know, that one touch, right? That's really the only thing because you're going to be touching that food, that plate anyways. So that'd be that one touch out to the car or, or you know, through the drive-thru or however it might be. And I think that's a right. great idea. But yeah. again, that's thinking outside the box too. Well, thank you. And, you know, we got to stay uh, mindful of the science, the, the science about um, getting coronavirus through contact is becoming clear and clear by the day. It, it's a lower level of risk, a much lower level of risk. And so really it's, it's that mass coverage and washing your hands. And um, so when we think about all things COVID, we think about risk reduction. You're not going to eliminate all risk. It's, it's just not possible. And so what can we do to get that risk lower and lower each and every day? Um, that's the attitude people have to have because otherwise if you think it's an A or a B scenario, you're, you're going to fail because there's also C, D, E, and F. Um, so I, I'm always telling my staff and our guests who have concerns, just keep in mind, this is about reducing the risk, not eliminating it and always stay vigilant doing that. I love it. It's great advice too. 
Well, Rob, I want to thank you for coming on the show this week. I know you're a very busy man. You got a lot of things to do, but we thank you and the PMA thanks you. And uh, I look forward to talking to you in the future. Yeah, great chatting. Have a great weekend. Now let's chat with Chef Kevin Johnson, the owner of The Grocery. Hey, Kevin, welcome to the show today. Oh, thanks for having me. Looking forward to talking to the produce today. Oh, man, of course, of course. When uh, PMA connected us during this uh, food service delivered uh, conference, um, I was happy to connect with you, you know, especially reading your portfolio and your bio, uh, kind of what you've done and where you've led your business uh, since 2011. I thought it was really cool. And I also think it's really cool uh, what the PMA is doing to connect the food service industry and all the chefs in this global pandemic. Yeah, it's really... um you know, bring highlighting one of uh, one of my favorite parts of uh, of cooking and um, and seeing kind of the diverse uh, backgrounds of different people and how we're all affected by um, not only by this but how you know the produce market um, helps us out. Uh, it's certainly um, something I'm, I love talking about. So happy to be here. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate it as well. Well, let's talk about uh, you and kind of your style of cooking. And maybe we can talk about some of the recipes that you use inside of your restaurant um, that incorporates a lot of produce. I mean, every time I go to a restaurant, there's always produce involved in every single meal. Uh, But you're best known for your approach and commitment to cooking within the seasons. So I want you to kind of give us a little bit of a a taste of that, if you will. Sure. Um, So you know, a couple interesting things. And I think what has kind of led me to how I cook today and, and what I cook. Um, so I, I kind of backed into cooking um, because in my late teens, early twenties, I decided to become a vegetarian. But at that point, A, I didn't know how to cook and B, um, I mean, I was always interested in food, but not necessarily in the process. Um, but you know, in addition to not really knowing much about cooking at that point, um, there weren't, there was not the availability of uh, vegetarian options, you know, at college or, you know, in re- restaurants in general, you know, it was just the pasta primavera was, you know, kind of the token options. So uh, I went out and bought a cookbook and, and kind of um, several years later um, realized I might want to do this for, you know, a an income and, and possible career. And so while I kind of evolved out of uh, being a vegetarian, um, that's always kind of stuck with me, the diversity of the ingredients and what they can do and the textures and flavors. I, I just feel like they have so much to offer. And so that's kind of stuck with me. And then kind of with that seasonal approach, you know, I had two main mentors um, as I, you know, kind of went through my career until I became a chef and both of them, I I just thought that's kind of the way it worked was you, you know, had people show up with ingredients and, uh, and then you cooked with them. Um, And so that kind of seasonality and what we call sort of more of a reactionary approach to cooking and you kind of get the ingredients and then formulate the idea as opposed to formulating ideas and then, you know, calling around looking for the ingredients has always been sort of how I approach cooking. That's pretty cool, man. I mean, listen, you approach cooking way differently than I, because as I told you off mic, I've got, you know, some, some staple items, man. I, I, you know, when you, cause people forget 
how to cook when there's not ingredients in front of them. So it's like, I've got a couple staple items that I cook and it's always interesting to learn um, kind of the passion and love that you put behind it. Cause I can, I can feel it in you. You know what I mean? I can hear right. what you're talking about and I don't have that. Cause to me, <laughs> it's like some people, like they say, like they uh, live to eat, eat to live. And I'm sitting here like, you know, sometimes I do forget a meal every once in a while because either I'm, I'm doing something or I'm with the kids. Like we were saying, you know, playing PlayStation or something like that with a right. broken controller. Um, <laughs> but no, it's like, it's cool to hear because as much as I love uh, going out and getting these meals that are prepped in these different ways, like I mean, during COVID, we do dine in, but, you know, dine out, you know what I mean? We go pick up our right. meal and we bring it back to the house, but there's meals that I'm trying that I didn't try before during this time, just because like I would go to my normal staple item when I cook. And then even when I would go to a restaurant, I'd go to my normal staple item. I mean, how many times, you know, if you have kids, it's like they get the cheeseburger every single time. And you're like, man, would you try something else? Right. We as adults are like that as well. I mean, we, we get into a complacency mode. So it is cool to hear that. Um, what kind of recipes though, um, can you share with us um, that are some of your top favorites? Uh, maybe one top on your menu or just a favorite that you uh, cook in the kitchen now? Oh, man. Um, you know, obviously, you know, this time of the year, um, you know, summer uh, in Charleston, uh, the heat is is certainly um, it's coming down on us. And, uh, you know, so the ingredients um become fewer and far between uh at certain times but one thing i've been really really into lately um i used to you know if people used to ask me what kind of my least favorite vegetable was um has now become one of my favorites to cook with um is eggplant um they're just so diverse you can do so many different things with them um they're pretty prolific growers uh you know i mean you can grow a lot of it uh, for cheap, um, which, you know, from, you know, a lot of cost conscious, uh, chefs and home cooks right now. Um, so, you know, that's something we've been really into lately is, uh, is doing eggplant, whether it's, um, you know, roasted in the wood oven and then just, you know, dressed with vinaigrette or being pureed into sort of a dip, um, are some of the things we've been really into lately. Mm, I love it. You know, what's funny is I remember, not the first time um, that I tried eggplant, um, but I remember the first time I had it in like a different way. And right. I had it in the spaghetti form, right? Like a spaghetti squash too. Uh, and yeah. I remember what was on the side, but I was in Dallas, I was traveling and we went to this restaurant. It was one of those um, uh, very nice, you know, cuisine restaurants. And I'm looking at it, it's like, I was like eggplant, eggplant Parmesan, you know, a spaghetti squash. And I was like, all right, I'm going for this. And I agree. Some of the, some of the things that I probably didn't like growing up as a kid, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, like cucumbers or squash or eggplant are some of the items that I do like today. And when I go out to a restaurant or when I try to, you know, dine in and out, like we said, is I do try to look for those items because they're always prepared with such flavor and you yeah. know, everybody's got their own spin on them. I couldn't do that in my house. I've tried to do the spaghetti squash right. at home. It does not work. It doesn't look like it does in the, in the restaurant. It doesn't taste like it. It's like, hey, it's like when you get a haircut. You come home, it looks pristine for 24 hours. After 24 right. hours, it's on you. You know what I mean? 
you yeah. know what I mean? And I feel like well, sometimes that's what we're here for, you know, that's what, right? that's what us uh, restaurants are here for. Uh, we, and we do, we do appreciate that. So um, listen, Kevin, I, I appreciate you coming on the show today. If anybody wants to find you or get a hold of your organization, um, how can they find you? So our restaurant is in uh, Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, it's called The Grocery. Um, obviously very produce-driven restaurant. Uh, and our, you can find us on the big wide web at thegrocerycharleston.com. I love it, man. Well, thank you so much for uh, being on the show today. And I look forward to talking to you in the future. I appreciate it. Take care. Thanks for the great insights, Kevin. Now let's hear from Jennifer Arman, the Vice President of Okanagan Specialty Fruit. Hey, Jennifer, welcome to the show today. Thanks, Patrick. Great to be here. Hey, so I always like to tell people how we connected. And I started following these virtual showcases and I was researching uh, you know, online and I saw PMA Food Service Delivered was coming up. I clicked on your guys' logo because I saw this cool like Arctic apple and I was like, wait a minute what is this? And, you know, I actually just did an apple taste off on my YouTube channel. They had about eight different varieties of apples. And I got so many comments saying, there's so many more different kinds of apples. Have you tried this? Have you tried this? Oh my gosh, this. And so when I saw this Arctic apple, I was like, I got to connect with these people. And that's exactly what we did, right? It is. Well, I'm glad you did. And, and as you were saying, you did this apple taste off. The first thought that came to my mind is, oh man, our apples should have been in that. <laughs> Hey, no, and you know what's crazy is, is I went to Sprouts, I went to uh, Walmart, I went, I mean, listen, I went to all these, I went to all of the top retailers because I was like, okay, I got to get a variety of apples and everybody, you know, was like, get the Honeycrisp, get the Opal, get the Granny, get this. And some of these weren't in stock though either. So as I was trying to find some, I might've done it at the wrong time. I did it about a month ago and some of these apples uh, weren't in stock. So I grabbed as many as I could that could do an apple taste off as possible. Uh, the opal apple was the winner for me. It had the most flavor. But as I keep being told, Patrick, you're going to have to do another taste off with eight different apples, right? And then combine a huge taste off together that combines all of those apples together. So I think that's something I might have to do. That's quite a challenge. It, it has been, but you know what? I love that crunch of an apple when you bite into it, you know? But yeah. listen, let's enough about my apple experience i want to hear about this arctic apple um and your organization i want to hear a little bit more about you well um so the the company is okanagan specialty fruits and we're headquartered in british columbia i always say that we are the ultimate in the vertically integrated company because we started with the cell to develop our apple varieties through biotechnology. And what we did is we knocked out the expression of an enzyme called polyphenol oxidase or PPO using the apple's own genes. And PPO is the enzyme that causes the apple to go brown. So when we do that in the new variety, our apples no longer turn brown. And it's what's really kind of cool about it is that you're just turning off the expression of this enzyme and you're not adding anything. So we often um, speak of it as biotechnology 2.0 in the sense that it's, we're not bringing in any other gene to be expressed. It's simply silencing PPO. Um, we were started 23 years ago come November 
and we are growing now. We have uh, about 1,300 acres in the ground, and we're in our, uh, are we in our fourth, third year, fourth year of, of um, commercial harvest? And of course, you can appreciate as somebody who understands um, tree development, it takes a while for trees to come through to maturity. So we're only harvesting off a small portion of our acreage at this point in time. And we're only harvesting Arctic Goldens and Arctic Grannies right now. Um, come next fall, we'll be able to start harvesting our Arctic Fuji. And then we have an Arctic Gala and Arctic Honey in development. And those will be coming along uh, fairly quickly. Um, so back to a little bit more about the company being vertically integrated. So we also, in addition to growing our own fruit, we process all of our products. So the Arctic apple, because it, the apple doesn't go brown and it, it was really developed for the fresh cut apple industry with the idea that the fresh cut apples that are currently available, we know haven't met the expectations of a lot of chefs. So from a taste and, and appearance standpoint. So with, the, with our apple, since we develop the varieties for fresh cut, we grow them suitably to be fresh cut. And then because they don't brown, they're really ideal for the food service industry. Um, they maintain their flavor profile. They're just fantastic. You open a bag and it smells like fresh cut apples and they taste like fresh cut apples. And they're really a terrific addition to really any plate. You know what? And, and I love apples too. And I told you off the mic, it's like when I bite into the apple, I love that crunch, right? That, that crunch feeling, the juiciness. And each apple's got a different flavor profile. I definitely learned that in the apple taste off for sure. So <laughs> we're in PMA food service delivered week. Our food service industry within the produce and supply chain industry has been hit uh, tremendously. And I know apples are a big staple item in a lot of restaurants. Heck, I know when we go to the kids menu, there's always apples on the menu, no matter where we go. And so is that affecting some of these new products that you guys are putting out? Or are we working and developing new ways uh, to work with the food service industry? Well, we certainly are developing new ways to to work with the industry. One of the one of the SKUs that we carry is a five ounce uh, grab and go bag, which is, you know, typically when you go on a kid's menu, there's a two ounce bag of of apples that are served to to the child, and for an adult or even a teenager, well, teenagers eat more than we do most of the time, but but really for anybody but a but a, a school age child, um, two ounces is really not enough apples and and so in the five ounce bag you get about a whole apple and it's ready to go so that's a touchless opportunity uh, to give your consumer say they're picking up a sandwich to go and you offer them fries or you offer them a fresh sliced apples now i mean i know a lot of us like our fries now and then don't get me wrong i do too but a lot of times um, we prefer a healthier choice so um, the the fresh cut apple in the five ounce bags makes a perfect complement to that and then you're right there are apples in food service but we know from talking with corporate chefs over the last many years. I've been involved with this project for a decade. And we know that a lot of the 
pre-prepared apples just simply don't meet their flavor and, and appearance expectations. And so we have found plenty of opportunities, even during these times of COVID, where people have expressed interest in, in our apples. Um, we're also uh, working to take our apples to the, the convenience store sector, which has been very keen to bring in another fresh offering for their consumers as the fresh business grows in the C-store space. Yeah, for sure. Well, that, well, that's good to know. I mean, because there's a lot of companies out there that are pivoting and adapting during this time because of the food service, um, you know, shortfalls. And we don't say it like it's their fault. It's just, you know, when the, when the government had a lot of the, uh, of the country shut down, I mean, that's kind of what happened. All the local governments decided to, I mean, restaurants were closed. I mean, even now at 50% opening in some states, they're still not ordering as much produce as they would before. I mean, and heck, we're seeing that. I, I told you we do citrus. I mean, citrus is up. We've seen citrus in the papers. But again, we're not selling those, you know, small little lemons or small little oranges to the cruise lines or to the food service companies that were buying them before. Our wholesalers are completely down in budgets than we thought they would be because we were thought they'd be supporting all these holidays that involve apples, oranges, watermelons, avocados, yeah. right? I mm -hmm. mean, these are things that we're seeing. So, I mean, obviously, I can't wait till the country opens back up again. As I keep saying, I'm like a 50-50. I'm an extrovert and an introvert. Um, again, like I told you, my wife's a teacher. We, we're kind of stuck indoors until uh, things get, you know, back to school when they do. And I want them to be in a safe, safe, safe space, right? Because yeah. the same thing we got to think about. Um, the kids are going to need food in school. They're going to have to interact. So all these things, I want all that to go back to normal because that increases our industry. That increases our food production. That gets proper healthy meals to children all day long. So there's so much that goes beyond this. And it, it's just crazy to see so much of our industry um, really struggling, but then adapting and pivoting during this time, right? Yeah. And we don't get me wrong. We've had to pivot too. I mean, we've, we've always been, we've, we've targeted the C-store space, but let's face it now, it's a, it's a more aggressive approach for us. Um, we're also participating, Patrick, in the food box program. And we're really pleased and excited to be able to do that and to get our apples into the hands of consumers who might otherwise not have the opportunity to enjoy fresh sliced apples. So um, that, that's actually something that's been um, a, a really big effort on our part and we're, we're thrilled to be able to participate in that program. I love it. Yeah, we participated in a small part. We, we worked through a subcontractor in Grand Rapids, Michigan for the first contract and we loved being a part of that because we knew the oranges were going to families in need. Unfortunately, Absolutely. there's not that much oranges during the summer besides imports. So I know it kind of tapered off there, but apples obviously is a great staple item. And I've worked with guys too, uh, like uh, Michigan Fresh in the past. They're really great guys. And I had a conversation um, with some guys over at Vine Line Logistics earlier, just great people all around. There's a lot of people in this industry that got awarded this box contract. And I'm glad apples were part of that. I, I really am. There was a lot of good products that were part of that. Uh, asparagus, onions, potatoes, right? So I am glad to see that. And I hope that it keeps moving forward. Um, but let's yeah, focus I, in on apples though. Yeah, well, okay, so let's get, let's get back to apples. So what makes an Arctic apple different 
Okay, so we know that it that it doesn't brown, and so when you slice it, it doesn't it doesn't turn brown, or you don't get a lot of superficial bruising. If you watch a consumer at a store pick out whole apples, you know they always pass over the ones that have just a little bit of scuffing or something on them. When really there's nothing materially wrong with that apple, it just may not be as visually appealing. And we don't our apples don't get those scuff marks, so they're very sustainable in that respect. Um, the fruit that comes out of our orchards and then goes into the pre-size and into storage and then through the processing line, we really have a very high orchard to bag, if you will, um, recovery. Uh, an alarming statistic that came out of Tesco, it was either 2014 or 2015, they did a survey and determined that 40% of all apples that are produced are never consumed. And, you know, that is just, a horrible what? number. Yeah, that's a horrible number from a sustainability standpoint. If you think of the labor, the water, the all of the inputs that are required to get an apple from the tree to the consumer and then to have such abysmal waste with the bulk of that waste occurring either at retail or in the consumer's home. And so our really part of our goal is to really minimize that that waste and and we know that we have very very low wastage numbers um, compared to the industry average well that's fantastic to hear seriously so speaking of uh you know it's july 23rd geez i almost said the wrong date i'm not gonna lie to you i almost said the wrong date we're you know we're uh, 1987 you know march 31st but what's what's to come? Um, what what can the consumers expect to see in the stores uh, between August and September coming up? What what kind of apples can we look for? Well, you know, remarkably, through the month of August, we are still able to slice our Arctic Goldens. So typically, an Arctic or typically a Golden Delicious apple, they're they're all done in the spring. They just have not. They don't tend to hold up well in storage. Our apples are um, very firm and we're able to slice our Arctic Golden straight through the month of August. Our Arctic Grannies will carry us through the month of September. And then in, in September, we will begin harvesting our Arctic Goldens again. So um, we, we are sold out for this year's crop, uh, but we have it all allocated and to carry us through right to when the Arctic Goldens are freshly harvested off the tree, that's roughly the third week of September. And then we'll go right back into slicing Arctic Goldens as we run out of the 2019 Arctic Granny crop. And then the Arctic Grannies will be harvested in um, about the third, fourth week of October. And we'll start slicing those again so that come November, uh, all the way through till August of next year, we will have both of these varieties available in, in slices. And we're, we'll, we're likely to also launch some dices as, uh, as the season progresses. We don't have that skew quite yet. Um, like I said, we're sold out of the 2019 crop, but we're working on some additional things to bring to market in the, over the course of the 2020 year. Yeah, for sure. And I want to make sure that everybody knows uh, when Jennifer says she is sold out, that means all consumers, listen, all consumers, you're going to get these apples in the stores. 
They're going to be delivered to your doorstep with some models. So they are sold out, meaning to the industry. So to the vendors yes, thank or the you customer, for that, Patrick. Yeah, yeah. yeah, thank you for that. No, no I guess, problem. I guess that, that's, that's classic industry vernacular that I got stuck in right there, isn't it? It is. And of course, but listen, right now, if you're a vendor or you're a customer listening, hey, it's time to contact earlier for next crop. So if you're interested in this Apple, you got to start contacting them now to get in line to see if you're going to be available to get it. But no matter what, these will be on the retail shelf. They will be available for the consumers and hopefully they are sold out in the store so they can keep producing more. And as Jennifer said, we want that 40% of food waste to go down and down and down. So the more apples we consume, the better off everybody is. So Jennifer, um, if anybody wants to get a hold of your company or yourself, where can they find you? Well, the best thing to do is to go to our website, arcticapples.com, and you can find contact us links right there. Uh, and that's that's the, the most streamlined way to, to get us and not have to write down a, a, a email address. Um, so there's also an 800 number that you can reach us at that's listed on the website. So arcticapples.com, that'll be your best avenue. Awesome. And Jennifer, I want to appreciate you for coming on the show today and sharing some of your knowledge and experience uh, with the Arctic Apples and your organization. Thank you so much, Patrick. It was a pleasure chatting with you. It was great to hear from all the guests today. They all come from different parts of the produce industry, especially the food service industry. So I want you to take the time, check out the PMA Food Service Delivered site, check out all the interviews that we've had today, and join the last day tomorrow for the PMA Food Service Delivered virtual conference. You've been listening to the Produce Industry Podcast with Patrick Kelly. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Anchor to get new, fresh weekly episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Produce Industry Podcast. Until next time, see you in the fields or on the horizon.